a life of perversion and desire to fulfill lust, one man turned fetish into murder. Known as the Lust Killer and the She Fetish Killer, Jerome Jerry Brudos terrorized Oregon in the late 1960s. With a distinct fetish for women's high-heeled shoes going so far as to cut off the foot of one of his victims and keeping it in the freezer so that he could pull it out and dress it up in the a high-heeled shoe. That was according to the Department of Psychology at Radford University. Brutus was convicted of killing three women but confessed to murdering four. Yet, according to Radford University, 12 other young women went missing in Oregon during the time he was an active serial killer there, which wasn't very long. Though Brutus had a history of fantasies about violence against women with his shoe fetish beginning at the age of five, he didn't start killing until he was 28 years old, which was during the years of 1968 and 1969. This is his unbelievable story. Recorded in Rocket City, USA. No bullshit. Just real talk. And now Deuce Conrad. Jerry Brudos was born in Webster, South Dakota, as the younger of two sons. Now, Jerry's mother had wanted a girl and was very displeased that she had had another son instead. And it was for that very reason that she constantly subjected him to emotional and physical abuse. As a child, Jerry and his family would move into different homes in the Pacific Northwest before settling in Salem, Oregon. Jerry Brudos had a fetish for women's shoes from the age of five after playing with stiletto-heeled shoes at a local junkyard. It's said that he was reportedly attempted to uh, steal the shoes of his first-grade teacher. Uh, now, Brudos also had a fetish for women's underwear and claimed that he would steal underwear from female neighbors as a child. He would spend most of his teen years in and out of psychotherapy and psychiatric hospitals. You see, in his teenage years, Brutos began to stalk local women. He would knock them down. He would choke them until they were unconscious. And he would flee with their shoes. At the age of 17, he abducted and beat a young woman. You see, his violence is began to increase. He threatened to stab her if she did not follow his sexual demands, and shortly after being arrested, he was taken to a psychiatric ward of the Oregon State Hospital for nine months. Now, it was there that it was found that Brutus' sexual fantasies revolved around his hatred towards his mother and women in general. He underwent a psychiatric evaluation and was diagnosed with schizophrenia. But despite being institutionalized, Brutos graduated from high school with his class in 1957. Shortly after graduation, he became an electronics technician. In 1961, despite his hatred of women and his distaste for women, he would marry a 17-year-old girl named Darcy, with whom he would father two children and would settle in a Salem suburb. He asked his new bride to do housework naked, etc. 
except for a pair of high heels while he took pictures. Now, it was uh, about this time that he began complaining of migraine headaches and blackouts, relieving his symptoms with night-prowling raids to steal, to steal shoes and lace undergarments. Joe Rios would experience a transvestite period where he used the female persona as a form of escape mechanism. Brutos kept the shoes. He kept the underwear and, for a time, the bodies of his victims in a garage that he would not allow his wife to enter without first announcing her arrival on an intercom that he had set up. Since 1999, Rakuten has paid its members over $2 billion in cash back. Formerly known as Ebates, Rakuten is an affiliate reseller of over 2,500 online retailers. Uh, Rakuten passes part of their commission on their sales back to you in the form of a cash back payment. You see, you earn cash back by using the Rakuten online shopping portal. And using Rakuten is very uh, simple and easy. There are no fees or forms you need to fill out to get your money. Uh, but to get the cash back, all you have to do is start any online shopping you do at the Rakuten website. You'll click through their site to your preferred online store such as Target, Walmart, Sephora, Macy's, Nike, and many more. And then simply make your purchase as uh, usual. Easy, right? Well, I'm going to make it even better for you being a listener of the Deuce Conrad Show. As a first-time shopper, you will get up to $30 to use on your first purchase. Of course, certain terms and conditions apply. Visit www.deuceconradshow.com and select Promotions to get started today. At first glance, Jerome Henry Brudos hardly fit the profile of a serial killer. The confessed murderer of three young Oregon women and possibly a fourth who has never been found. Brudos had been committed to the Oregon State Hospital, as we said many years earlier, after being taken into custody for threatening two girls and forcing them at knife point to disrobe so that he could photograph them. He was also accused of stealing and wearing women's clothing, and Brutus later admitted that, uh, well, he was wearing women's panties and pedal pushers when he staked out Sackett Hall, a girl's dormitory at the Oregon State University campus, while looking for women. Linda Slauson would be the first to die. She would be seen last in Portland, Oregon, on January 26 of 1968. She lived with her mother and siblings in Aloha, Oregon, and had a job selling encyclopedias door-to-door. Linda was selling her encyclopedias in southwest Portland the day that she had vanished. Slauson was the first confirmed victim of serial killer Jerome Henry Jerry Brudos. Jerry Brudos hit her in the head, killing her. And after her death, he kept the body for a time, dressing it up in women's undergarments. Brutos also removed one of her feet so that he could put high-heeled shoes on it from his collection. 
Later, after his arrest, he would tell investigators that Slauson had approached his home and he had offered to buy a set of encyclopedias, and he had invited her inside. It was then that he killed her and threw her body into the Willamette River off of Wilsonville Bridge on Interstate 5. The body of Linda Slauson has never been recovered. Brutos would never be convicted for her death. Eleven months would pass before Jerry Brutos would strike again, this time on November 25, 1968. Jan Whitney, age 23, of McMinnville, is last seen in Eugene. Jan Whitney was driving home for Thanksgiving when her car broke down. Unlucky for her, Jerry Bruto saw her and stopped to offer her help. Instead, he strangled her in his car and had sexual relations with her dead body. Brutos brought Whitney's body into his workshop and dressed and posed it for photographs. As with Slauson's remains, he decided to keep a part of his victim. This time, he removed one of Whitney's breasts. Her car was later found abandoned at a rest stop along Interstate 5 between Salem and Albany. The killing escalated the following year, you see. Brutos would abduct a 19-year-old Oregon State University student by the name of Karen Sprinker from her parking garage in a downtown Salem sometime in March. The 19-year-old co-ed was supposed to meet her mother for lunch at the Meyer and Frank department store in downtown Salem on March 27, 1969, but she didn't show up. Taking her to his home, Jerry Brutos would sexually assault her and strangle her to death. There was another strange detail in Sprinker's case. Both of her breasts had been sliced off, and although she was still wearing the clothing she had on the last time anyone saw her alive, her bra had been changed to a black one that was way too big for her. The cups had been stuffed with paper. Sprinker's cause of death was asphyxiation. Her car was found locked and abandoned on the store's rooftop parking lot later. But there was no trace of the girl. Only four weeks later, he struck again. The victim this time was 22-year-old Linda Salee. Linda Salee disappeared while shopping at Portland's Lloyd Center Shopping Center for a birthday gift for a boyfriend. She was last seen walking out of a jewelry shop about 5.30 p.m. that day. Her car was found later in the Lloyd Center parking garage where she had parked it on her arrival at the shopping center. Jerry Brudos had kidnapped her from a shopping center and he had brought her back to his home to continue his murderous spree. A few weeks later, Salee's body was discovered in the Long Tom River. Her corpse had been weighed down by a car part. Autopsy results showed that she had died of asphyxiation. Police working the case noted the unusual knot on the nylon rope used to tie the body to the auto part. 
Continuing to search the river, police found Sprinker's remains a few days later. They, too, had been tied to a car park using an unusual knot. Sprinker and Salee joined a list of several young Oregon women who had mysteriously vanished during 1968-1969. Do you have a beard? It's a legitimate question. You know, a beard says a lot about a man. A beard can define a man just by looking at him. Screw what they say. You can judge a book by its cover, and a beard is one hell of a cover. But let me ask you this. How do you take care of your beard? Are you putting chemicals into your face that will basically eat the hide off of a zombie stop that shit be a badass and start using badass beard care look it's all natural it's made by badass vets and it will make your beard so incredibly soft so incredibly manly and you can get a free trial set today by going to deuceconrad.com and selecting own promotions Law enforcement agencies throughout Oregon, as well as the FBI, had been searching for months to find any kind of a lead on the missing women when a lone fisherman stumbled across the biggest find of his life. Sam Wallace had been looking for a fishing spot along the Lone Tom River, 12 miles south of Corvallis, on May 10, 1969. It was on this day that he spotted something unusual floating near the surface of the water. Looking closer, he discovered it was a human body. Wallace raced to his car and he drove to the nearest gas station to call police. Benton County Sheriff's deputies hurried to the river. The body had been tied by a nylon cord and copper wire to a heavy automobile transmission and dumped into the, to the river. Deputies removed the victim and later discovered that she was Linda Salee, the Portland girl who had disappeared from the Lloyd Center. On a hunch that there may be more bodies nearby, the reserve sheriff's divers dragged the river. Two days later, they found the body of Karen Sprinker, only about 50 feet from where Salee's body was found. Sprinker's body was also weighted down this time with the head of a six-cylinder car engine. Nylon cord was used to tie the body to the engine. Both victims were partially clothed when found. On April 22nd, the same day Linda Salee disappeared from Lloyd Center in Portland, a 15-year-old Salem girl on her way home from school was accosted by a man with a plastic gun who tried to force her into his car. Now, the girl managed to break away from the man who apparently panicked, climbed to his car, and drove off. The report was still on investigators' minds when they learned on May 14th that an Oregon State co-ed had received a phone call from a man who identified himself as a Vietnam veteran. 
Coeds at Sprinker's dorm at Oregon State University told detectives that they had recently been receiving odd phone calls from a man who said he was a lonely Vietnam veteran, and he had boasted of extrasensory perception. The man said he had learned a new method of study while he was a patient at Walter Reed Medical Center and asked if she would like to meet him to discuss it. Now, this particular young lady consented, but then became suspicious of the vet's intentions, especially after he told her he couldn't meet for a date because he had to change the motor of his car. That's when she called Corvallis police detectives. On April 22nd, the student said that she had met her mystery date, a tall, fleshy redhead with freckles. He wasn't terribly attractive. But what she found most off-putting was his tendency to blurt out odd and disturbing thoughts like, how did you know I would bring you back home and not take you to the river and strangle you? One encounter was more than enough, but detectives persuaded the girl to call for a second to set a trap. They suggested the co-ed accept a date with the man and meet him at her dorm on campus. They would be waiting when he arrived. They grabbed Jerry Brudos and questioned him. They would end their interview with strong suspicions, but not enough evidence for an arrest. But patience. Patience would prevail, and within a week, Marion County District Attorney Gary Gortmaker announced that Jerome Henry Brudos, a 30-year-old Salem electrician, had been charged with four counts of first-degree murder. Police arrested Brudos after a girl who escaped an attempted abduction identified him. After questioning, he confessed to his crimes in sickening detail, starting with the theft of high heels and women's undergarments, which he stored in a secret workroom in his house, where it was equipped with a refrigerator. The place was off-limits to everyone else. Even his wife was not allowed inside. But the grand jury, which met on June 4th, indicted Brudos on only one count of first-degree murder in the death of Karen Sprinker. Jerry Brudos pleaded innocent by reason of insanity. It would be later revealed in an affidavit authorizing a search of Brudos Salem's home that wire identical to the wire used to tie the victim to the car parts was found inside the residence along with photos of nude and clothed women and women's clothes and list of women's names, addresses, and phone numbers. There were also notes on all of the sororities and women's living organizations in Oregon State, and some women on the list reportedly told police that they had received phone calls from a man claiming to be a Vietnam veteran and said he was lonely. Some said they even dated the man. At the time of his arrest, Brutus was married and the father of two. Some of his friends described him as a devoted family man who neither drank nor smoked, and rarely, if ever, did Jerry Brutus, according to his friends, use profanity. Police interrogations would lead to chilling and haunting details as confessed by Jerry Brudos. 
victim number one was Linda Slauson, 19, the college girl selling encyclopedias. Now, Jerry Brudos admitted holding onto the body so he could dress her up. He stated that he later dumped her in a river, keeping a foot that he had sawed off and stored in a freezer. He also went on to say that he periodically took it out and put it in a dressy shoe and would take photos of it. But eventually he dumped that in the river too. Jerry Brudos also confessed to the Salian Sprinker murders as well as the killing of a fourth woman, Jan Whitney, another college student who vanished in November of 1968. Despite all of the sick and twistedness, uh, twisted details of Jerry Brudos and his murders, he would tell law enforcement even more chilling and haunting details such as admitting to necrophilia and experiments like when he tried to when he would suspend Salie's body from the ceiling and try to uh, make the corpse dance by applying electrical shocks. Detectives would open the killer's secret torture chamber and found a terrifying cache of photos of the women before and after death, along with souvenirs of his crimes to include shoes, bras, girdles, and paperweights made of human breast. Now, his wife who seemed to be clueless, would be tried as an accomplice. And while she would recall some disturbing incidents like seeing her husband prancing around in brawls and girdles, there was absolutely nothing to link her to his crimes. Found not guilty, she changed her name and seemingly vanished. Jerry Brios's original plea was not guilty by reason of insanity, but psychiatrists determined that although Brudos was extremely twisted, his crimes were well planned and that he was a, well aware of what he was doing. Three days before he was scheduled to go to trial and for the uh, Sprinker murder, Brudos changed his plea to guilty to the three original murder charges and the deaths of Karen Sprinker, Jan Whitney, and Linda Salee. Jerry Brudos told Marion County Circuit Judge Val D. Sloper that he had strangled Sprinker with a rope and used a leather strap to strangle Whitney and Salee. Sloper then sentenced Jerry Brudos to three consecutive life sentences in the Oregon State Penitentiary. Are you looking for unbiased news in a world of biased media? Look no further. 1440 provides an impartial view of what's happening in the world so our readers can form their own conclusions. 1440 scours hundreds of sources each and every day to bring you a single morning briefing thoughtfully curated by experts. Straight to your email with no haggling or unnecessary spam. Get even more benefits by signing up through the Deuce Conrad Show affiliate link. Visit www.deuceconradshow.com and select Promotions to sign up today. While in prison, Jerry Brudos' foot fetish grew. He often wrote to companies and requested shoe catalogs. In fact, the man's cell was littered with catalogs. When Brudos was not pursuing his collection, he was busy filing appeals to regain his freedom. 
In 2005, Brutus would tell a parole board that he was recovering from colon cancer and pursuing his master's degree in counseling at the Oregon State Penitentiary. Jerome Brutus, age 66 at the time, had been locked up since 1969 longer than any other Oregon inmate. Bald and portly, the serial killer said he was mellowing with age. Three weeks prior, Brutus said he was able to avoid a prison altercation by simply walking away. I never would have done that in past years, he said, drawing a distinction between his hot-headed past and his changed demeanor. Mellowed or not, Brutus offered no insight into his crimes, and he declined to answer when a board member asked him why he committed the torture murders that landed him behind bars to begin with. Brutus indicated that the public session wasn't a suitable forum to delve into the matter. This is information I've wanted to give to the board without it becoming public record or reading it in the newspaper. He said, I have no intention of burying my soul. No visitors attended the proceeding of the State Board of Parole and Post-Prison Supervision. The half-hour session officially was deemed a personal interview between Brutus and the board and not a parole hearing. You see, in 1995, the board had voted to ban Brutus from ever getting parole. And since then, he's been allowed an interview with the board every two years. It would take board action to grant Brutus a formal hearing. And that three-member panel rejected such an action. Board Chairman Michael Washington told Brutus that he wouldn't receive a formal hearing in part because of his refusal to candidly discuss the crimes. But Jerry Brutus said, I'm more stable now than I ever was on the streets. Brutus said that he accepts responsibility for his crimes, but that he prefers not to dwell on what happened. I'm trying to get on with my life, he said. Unlike his victims, Jerry Brutus would be able to pursue a life of education behind bars where he would earn two college degrees in general sciences and counseling. And, as he said, he was working on a third, citing his work towards a master's degree in counseling. Brutus repeatedly criticized the past and present board uh, parole board. He said that the board's 1995 decision to ban him from parole consideration was an act of vengeance. Federal court rulings have upheld the board's handling of Brutus's case, Washington said. The longtime convict gets an interview with the board every two years because the courts have held that he is entitled to the biennial meetings. Brutus says he's being deprived of his rights. This is not over, he said, handcuffed and waiting to return to his cell after meeting with the board. They cannot remove my legal rights. Asked about his health, Bruto said he went, underwent colon cancer surgery about a year ago and had little to say about his prognosis or prison routines. One day, like another, and here he said. On March 28, 2006, Jerome Henry Jerry Brutos would take his last breath 
at the Oregon State Penitentiary Infirmary. He was 67 years old. The cause of death? Lung cancer. Thank you for listening to the Deuce Conrad Show on Spotify Podcast. In case you didn't know, you can also hear this podcast on Google Podcast and Apple Podcast and most podcast platforms across the web. For more information about tonight's show, you can also visit www.deuceconradshow.com. Visit show notes for more details.